0: Everybody, it's time to roll four and ten with the Creator's Corner and it's been a minute. I mean, we've had harvest going on. Trevor's got a new job. We've been we've been crazy busy.
1: Poor poor Creators Corner has suffered greatly. Oh man, I have been busy. I just got back from DC and then right before I went to DC, I drove to the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. Uh yeah, I've been I've been way too busy for this, but, and it kind of stinks is because it was kind of low and slow and I was expecting these books to come out. And then I get the email uh, from our friends at Paizo being like, Hey, here's your copy. So thank you so much, Paizo for uh, providing us a review sample, but I got it right before my work just kicked off like crazy.
0: And yes, for our listeners, we are reviewing the books. No one asked for, but were a needed necessity (laughs) player core the remastered version and gm's core so we are going to be actually answering some questions from our discord community because we are a little late to the game on this there is absolutely no shortage of information regarding these books out on youtube uh roll for combat's done a ton of stuff the rules lawyer no nat all of the you know bigger names in the Pathfinder 2 community. So, if you're looking for specific stuff, there is a ton of information out there. But, we thought we would kick this off by just asking our fans, we, what did they want to know from this book? And we're gonna jump right in and answer their questions.
1: Yeah, so we asked y'all, uh, well, I don't know, uh, three, four days ago, four, three, four days ago, when we realized that we were not gonna hit in the the, the embargo date for this. Hey, let's do something different. And you came out and you got their questions uh, uh, out here. And I'm going to read from them right here. I'm going to start with this top one. This is actually from our uh, community manager, Eden. Uh, he asked, what do you think is the most impactful change? So what do you think is most impactful change, Christian? I've, I've got my ideas, but let's, let's start with yours first.
0: I'm going to say... The well, okay. I'm going to answer this in two parts, because the most impactful change, I think, is under the interact action. You now gain the ability to swap or toss items to your allies swapping is a single action that allows you to take something in your hand, stow it and at the same time retrieve something else. This is a huge boon for the action economy of players, being able to stow these weapons and at the same time pull out another thing. They no longer have to just drop their precious, valuable items onto the ground in order to grab something. They can actually put it away. And the the other part is it is now You can throw an item to someone. You can grab a healing potion. You can throw that to your ally. It is a DC 15 ranged attack. It is uh, they they they're considered to have a 10 foot range increment. So as you get higher level, it's going to be super easy to meet that DC range attack. So pretty easy to throw things from their allies and they don't have to do anything. As long as they have a free hand, they can catch whatever you're throwing to them i actually see this as a huge benefit to all players and that's kind of why i've chosen this one because yes awesome cool changes to the witch if you're not playing a witch you don't care but so with this one this will affect every game every table so i asked that's why i think i'm going with this one for most impactful change
1: yeah i think that's a really good one because uh if you're anything like our table, we do stuff like this fairly often anyway. Like, I think there is a lot of house ruling around this activity anyway, whether it's passing it or tossing it, how we're going to handle it. And I think codifying those rules in a rules-expansive system like Pathfinder was something that was really, really needed, um, as opposed to just letting tables figure this one out willy-nilly. Do we look like, Uh, Do we look like Watsy or or what? Do we have actual rules or do we just make the GM figure everything out on the fly? I like the codification. Uh, That's that's a big one. Um, You know, Christian, you kind of stole my thunder because that's the one I was going to go with, too, because it's such a big (laughs) deal. It's a major change, Um, even though it's not really a major change because it's not really going to change the game for tables that were already doing that. And I think a lot of a lot were, but like giving a hard and fast rule. Fantastic. You know what? Uh, I think my other big change uh, and and it's not actually in this, it's in the GM core, which we're not really going to get into because there's not a huge, huge amount. But a couple of the really big changes is things like automatic bonus progression is officially gone. It's not part of the variant rule set anymore.
0: Well, who knows? It could appear in Player Core 2. We don't know what's going to be in that book.
1: (laughs) I guess that's true. Um, But I mean, that's more of a GM thing. I would have expected there to be a paragraph or something in the the Game Mastery Guide, you know, or effectively what the Game Mastery Guide is now, GM Core, to have that. And I know a lot of people enjoy playing those rules. I'm really not a big fan of them because it discourages the accessibility of magic items, and it unfairly punishes spellcasters a little bit more than I think they already are, uh, because they are reliant more on getting items that aren't striking in potency runes. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people technically use that rule outside of certain scenarios, but I think it's a really impactful change for the tables that were using that rule before. And and granted. There's nothing that says that you have to stop using it. It's just that there won't be that variant rule printed in new books. So new people coming to the game might not be aware of that rule. It'll officially become an unofficial variant. It is definitely an interesting one, and
0: I'm curious to see... If it's going to reappear later down the road, if they're going to make substantial changes to it to, like you said, to make it so it's beneficial for all classes equally instead of super leaning towards marshals and not so much towards spellcasters.
1: Yeah, I really think that we're going to see something else along those lines, and and that's something that I'm going to get into when we get to some of these other questions that are about the future of the game. And, and I think you're spot on. I think, I think we're going to have something for spell casters that are rune ish in the not so distant future because of that elimination of uh, automatic bonus progression. And because of some of the changes that they've made to casters and specifically the can trip freaking out that everybody was doing when we got the you know, first draft of the remaster rules. So the next one is kind of along the lines of the same question, also from Eden, our community manager. Uh, what do you think is the smallest or least noticeable change? And for me, it's all the renaming. All the renaming that I'm going to forget every time I say things like uh, Attack of Opportunity instead of Reactive Strike. That, that Off one guard ordered. and flat-footed. Off guard and flat-footed.
0: <laughs> Force Barrage and Magic Missile.
1: <laughs> yeah, so necessary changes because of you know the ogl versus the orc and uh i mean i think they're good changes this is not me being a grognard about it this is just me being somebody that you know will frequently make mistakes try and then try to correct it and then still be struggling with it in two years because you know semantics are the whole reason it's it's different but it's a minor change i i very much think you're going to get a lot of people being like well actually Extra reactive strike! Oh yeah, you're
0: you're gonna hear you're gonna hear that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I would say for me, um, the smallest and least noticeable change. I guess it doesn't qualify as a smallest change, but I think at the end of the day, the removal of alignment is actually going to turn into a not even noticeable change because regardless of anything, people are still going to play their characters the way they are going to play their characters. So of course, you know, everyone gets a little fired up and because alignment has been part of the game since the game was created. So I understand the, Whoa, where's that going? How do we know if things are evil, blah, blah, blah. And, There are still mechanisms in there that they've already alluded to, so I honestly think at the end of the day, the removal of alignment, while technically not a small change, but I do believe it will be completely a non-notice change in not that much time.
1: I think there'll be a lot of notice in RP, and not because of people will be like, oh, well, evil's gone, it'll be more of people being more nuanced about their characters rather than being, well, my character's evil, so he would be doing this evil thing. Well, no, your character has, you know, effectively edicts and anathemas. You have your own code. You know, even somebody that is going, you know, full murder hobo is going to act a certain way typically. Right, so, and and that's what they moved to, and I remember reading a lot about people freaking out about the edicts and anathema being, you know, applied to more than just things like cleric or champion, as if those specific things were truly mechanical restrictions to your character, and they're more like role-playing building blocks.
0: And our last question from Eden
1: was, uh, what do
0: you think is something that could have changed but wasn't? And I'm going to throw a little curveball on this. I actually think that I'm going to go with on this They could have done more with this alignment change because thinking about it, I feel that this was an amazing opportunity to help codify giving hero points to characters with their edicts and anathema. Having those edicts and anathema on your character sheets and then, you know, really playing your characters up to those edicts and anathema and then adding into the system like, oh when someone is sticking to this, give them a hero point. I actually think that would have been super helpful to the game. And I think it would have benefited like every table. Obviously you can do that, but I'm just thinking like things that I think they could have easily added that would have made a huge impact. I feel that that is
1: definitely something that would have accomplished that. For me, mine's going to sound really stupid. Uh, Why aren't kobolds common there? That's it. Why aren't kobolds common? Player core
0: two's not out yet. Maybe they will be.
1: Yeah, I know, but why not yet? Why do we have common leshies, but not common kobolds in the first, uh, whatever. Not a leshy fan, y'all. They're cute. But man, it feels like kobolds should be way more common than leshies. Do you think leshies, like, hate vegetarians? Yeah, right? I mean, there goes that whole vegetarian morality, like, out the window, Our next uh, couple questions are from somebody that's been a long time listener to the show. I think they've been there almost as long as Christian has been listening to our main show. I remember they commented on our first Reddit post. It's Blueberry Detective. Uh, In fact, he won one of our giveaways at one point, I believe. According to your views, is it actually just a remaster or does it feel like PF2.5e? Unequivocally, it's a remaster. This is maybe PF2.0.1. Maybe. It's a patch. There's nothing massive going on. Maybe 2.1. Maybe. But yeah, this is a remaster.
0: Yeah, I agree. This has a feeling of like taking two years worth of errata and just giving it to everyone at once instead of parsing it out over
1: two years. That's what it kind of feels like to me. Also, uh, I think the book is just laid out so much better. I remember the first time I looked at the original CRB and it drove me nuts. Like, I could not grok the rules until I started clicking around in Path Builder and stuff. This makes so much more sense than it did before. And I think that is a huge boon to the overall growth of this community because Paizo's rule books, the quality of the layout and the quality of the compositioning of the book has improved by leaps and bounds over the past two years to 36 months, I think. I mean, since it started, it's just been getting better. Um, Now, yeah, typographical errors, we run into those all the time and sometimes some grammatical errors, but as far as the structure and the layout of the books, every core book that has come out probably since the APG has just been phenomenally laid out and structured for you to find the data that you need in a way that makes sense. And that was the biggest failing of the CRB, the GMG, and the APG, in my mind.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an advantage to having all of these out and then deciding to redo these books and like, okay, we know we have this information that's going to go in here. So they did a pretty good job. A few things I'm not happy about, but someone asked us about that. So we'll cover that when we get to their question. Yeah, Blueberry's second question was, how's the Witch looking now? Was the changes to Familiars and Hexes enough? And I'm very happy with the Witch rework. They definitely have their own feel. Uh, Familiars definitely have a, a little bit of a power boost. There's definitely a flavor change. You get feats that kind of, they give Familiars a, Sort of a spell-like ability in a sense. There's a couple at eighth level. There's a couple at higher levels, and they allow your familiars to damage things, heal people. There's there's a lot packed in there, but a very cool change. And the fact that you know your witch, the the changing of hexes slightly, they've you know brought them more in line with the. Yeah, you know, the way the, the focus points have changed that you now can have, you get to get all of your focus points back instead of being stuck with kind of one for half of your adventuring career, honestly, like because I think most classes didn't get the ability to regain two focus points until 10th level. But you often had three focus points if your class focused on that around six levels. So it's yeah, it, it was a definitely a little bit of a disconnect there.
1: Yeah, this is the first time I've actually wanted to play a witch with first person rule or with first party rules. So, like, 1e, the witch did not interest me at all. Like, there were a couple archetypes that were like, oh, this is kind of cool, but they changed the witch so much they didn't really even feel like the original class. 2e, it fell flat for me. Um, there was nothing that the witch could do that some other spellcasting class couldn't do better. They had feats that were. Uh, Antithetical to the fantasy that that feat was trying to create. I'm looking at you, uh, claw feats and, and hair feats. Um, and it just didn't feel differentiated enough. Now, each of the patrons... And there's been a complete rework of the patrons. The patrons all feel different and mysterious and strange... And they don't feel like they're maybe sort of technically a stand-in for just a god, right? They all feel like they're a strange, unknowable, eldritch power of some sort. Uh, it makes the witches feel kind of like uh, like a cross between a 5e warlock and a sorcerer in 2e, Uh Largely because uh, the the changes to the familiars almost make it feel more like a bloodline. There's more differentiation with those patrons. And those familiar SLA-like abilities definitely feel a lot like bloodlines. And I think there's a lot of good design space now. And we always talk about that design space for third parties that are improvements to the Witch without having to overhaul the chassis like Witches Plus did. So I expect to see some pretty cool books coming out with, you know, new patrons that are thematic and impactful to the class without requiring you to change the core chassis of the class, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I really like them with that feel kind of back towards the the 3.5 Warlock, 4th edition Warlock. Probably fifth. I never actually played fifth much. But yeah, they have a Lovecraftian feel to them too. Like this connection to some sort of otherworldly creature that they don't even really know what it is. So very cool. Love the Witch rework. Very excited about it.
1: Yeah, honestly, to me, um, I know we talked about like most impactful and least impactful change. And I knew this question was coming up. So I didn't want to just be like, oh yeah, totally the Witch. The witch rework is enough reason to buy this book to reward Paizo for fixing the freaking witch. In my mind, the, rich re- the witch rework is worth the cost of this book. The it witch rework. Sounds we silly, but the, yeah, the witch we <laughs> is the reason for this book, in my opinion. And, you know, yeah, it's that good. I, I, really, I really like it. I think the next character that I play will probably be a witch. It'll be my first time playing a prepared spellcaster. It's going to be a big deal for me. All right.
0: From Hargudia, we have, is gods and magic deities compatible with Remastered Cleric? Can we use Absu with Remastered Cleric? So the Remastered Cleric, the Cleric did get a lot of very cool changes. But um, strangely enough, right before the you even get into the classes, it's kind of like, honestly, in the early part of the ancestry and background section of this book, like in the 30s, you have a list of all of the Galarian gods and what they have done, very similar to how these gods appeared, you know, it tells you what divine font you can pick. But there is now a section that is called sanctification. And it will say that you can be holy or unholy, or it will say that you must be holy or unholy or just one of them you can be holy must be holy so obviously the language here is you know if you are a cleric of asmodius it says under sanctification you must be unholy so you will be sanctified and an unholy character some other gods say can be holy you don't have to be unholy if you don't want to be so you kind of see this range i think it would be pretty easy for You and your GM to just get together and decide which of this is it going to be. Is it a must? Is it a can? Uh, As far as holy, unholy, pretty easy. You just kind of work off of do you get access to the healing or harm, harm font? So pretty easy there but they have already said they are going to be reworking gods and magic. So we won't have to wait long before we don't even have to worry about that. There will simply be a book that is going over this because there's been some pretty decent changes there. And I definitely think for the better
1: up next, kind of to, to dovetail into that, a parlor poet um, on our discord. Uh, Asked us what we thought about the cleric rework, and I, I, I have to say I'm, I'm, you know, again, sort of excited to play a cleric in ways that I haven't since 20. Um, the war priest definitely feels more gish like, in my opinion, more like a divine gish. I mean, not quite the sort of impact that a magus has, but I, f- it seems like it it won't feel nearly as weak with regards to spells and attacks. Like, yeah, it's not going to hit as hard as a fighter. It's not going to cast spells as good as a cloistered cleric, but it's going to be good enough to make positive impacts in ways that I think were way more difficult before the rework.
0: And also, one of the, the biggest changes to the cleric right out the door, your font starts at four. Doesn't matter. It is not tied to your charisma anymore you get four font spells, healing or harm, whichever you have chosen. At fifth level, this increases to five. At 15th level, it increases to six. So a huge chunk of your adventuring career, you have five backup heal or harm spells cast at your highest level. That is huge. Most people did not have that. I haven't played with a cleric that did. So that is actually
1: going to be pretty cool yeah trying to be a heal bot cleric before this made you way too multiple attribute dependent having to pump your charisma up to get more uh font spells which i know that was the way it was in 3.5 and 1e uh however the cleric had more tools in 3-5 and 1-E beyond just being a spell monkey, you know, the, the cleric was still a pretty tanky and could be a capable martial class in 1st in, uh, edition. And that isn't something that we've been able to do here without sacrificing some of the things that make a cleric cleric, namely decent healing. Now you don't have to. Everybody is on a level playing field, whether you're a war priest or a cloistered, or whether you've pumped your wisdom for spell attack and, and will saves, or if you decided to be more of a, you know, a fire and brimstone, pushing your charisma, intimidating people cleric. You know, you can do both ways without having to sacrifice one of those big things that makes a cleric a cleric.
0: And based on core book one, what changes in core book two are you most excited for?
1: Starts with an O, ends with an E. Oracle. Your least favorite class? My least favorite class, which was probably my second favorite class in 1E. E. If they can make the uh, completely underwhelming witch into something that looks fun and thematic and unique, what are they going to do to the Oracle? I'm excited for that.
0: Yeah, we've got the alchemist, the Oracle, the sorcerer. All three of those classes are getting, you know, some changes so i'm very curious to see how those are gonna go i'm i am excited for them i am i've already talked with trevor about this one of the things i am most curious about for players core 2 that is kind of not in the line of this question but there is a section in this book that is quite large playing the game tells you how to play pathfinder as you can imagine it's a big chapter you're not going to need that chapter in player core two so what goes there i don't know
1: i think (laughs) is it going to be a diet
0: book or is it what what are they going to put there
1: my 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 guess is what we are going to see in player core that's filling out the bulk of what's here in player core one right because we're going to have what four classes in there we're going to have oracle alchemist um no
0: it's it should have eight classes because we still need uh alchemist barbarian Oracle, Champion, Investigator, Swashbuckler, Swashbuckler,
1: Sorcerer. So I believe that one's scheduled also for eight classes. Right. So we'll have those in there. Um, We might have some errata surrounding the classes that are not in that uh, book. So specifically like uh, Magus, Summoner, Thaumaturge, and Psychic. We might have some errata around them. Maybe the Inventor and the Gunslinger just to bring them in line. Uh, But I kind of expect us to have class archetypes and archetypes listed for a massive section of uh, Player Core 2.
0: Oh, yes, that was an advanced player's guide, and that is something that is not in this book. So, yeah, you're probably right. That will probably be a big section.
1: Yeah, I, I really would like to see more class archetypes that aren't just like magic class archetypes. I would like to see some martial class archetypes. Um, nothing crazy. Maybe like three or four max. Uh, but I think we'll see a lot of archetypes. I mean, there's a few things that they completely stripped out of here that they may be reworking. So like, we don't have the spell trickster rogue anymore. Are they going to change that? Or uh, is it gone completely? I mean, I understand that the spell trickster rogue was kind of a one trick pony. Their big thing was the uh being able to activate magical items because the multi class dedications are just kind of ho-hum for a martial class, Uh, but it's gone. And I know there's a lot of people that are not happy about that. Are we going to get a rework of it? Are we going to get something better? Who knows? I would love to see a class archetype that is kind of like the Spelch Trickster, but for anyone, like a way for other classes to spec into being able to activate magical items. You know, that's something that I thought we would get with Thaumaturge, but like, the Thaumaturge can activate scrolls, they can't do anything with wands. You know? It'd be cool to be able to have a class archetype that could do that. Sacrifice something for that. Who knows, though? And
0: our last group of questions comes from Wolfbrother. Favorite, least favorite change per class?
1: A lot of them are so minor that there's really nothing to talk about with them. Like, yeah, I, I, can't I would not really think of there's, anything you about know, the fighter and the bard that are sub. Yeah, a lot of it is rewording.
0: Like, you know, the, because of the additional action of reposition that was added to athletics, which is very much like shove, but it allows you to not push them away. You can just move them around you. There's been a lot of rewording in their feats that anything that did shove also includes this. And there's been some feats added that specifically go towards it. So. Like that, you see a lot of minor changes with these classes, but honestly, for the most part, there's not been any big drastic change, with the exception of the Cleric and the Witch, in this book. Um, Wizard is kind of one because of the way they changed the, uh, you know, they removed the schools of magic and replaced them with actual magical schools, so... That, that's a decent change, but overall, it, it really doesn't impact the class that much. You, I feel like players and DMs are just going to work together to kind of create their own magical schools and wherever they're at. And that'd be a really cool, fun thing.
1: You know, there there is one thing that uh, I wish they would have changed or at least clarified. I want more specific rules about what constitutes a battle form and the restrictions thereof because it's pretty vague Um, the biggest thing with battle form is like you're not supposed to be able to speak in a battle form you can't use uh, items in a battle form but like there's instances where there's battle forms that should be able to speak and hold things I really wish that we would have gotten either a battle form trait That was a superset of polymorph or simply an explicit set of directions on what a battle form is um, beyond having battle form inside of the polymorph description and still be kind of vague. I do really like that they changed the scoundrel uh, rogue to give you the ability to step after you successfully faint. That's pretty cool. You get a free step if you're able to successfully feint. So you could potentially feint out of range of somebody and then get into striking position to be able to get your backstab damage. That's pretty neat. It it gives a lot more mobility options to the scoundrel, which was it's already a a mad class because you have to pump your charisma. You're getting something more for, you know, pumping up stuff for deception. I, I dig it.
0: All right. Thoughts on ancestry changes. I will say again, kind of like the glasses, there's been some very minor feet adjustments here and there. Uh, Some feats are gone. Some feats have been, you know, condensed down. So they, they, it's one feet now that sort of encompasses two older feats. Not a huge amount of changes there. Um, Everything in players core is a common ancestry. So that brings orcs and leshies to the common ancestry group. But oh, overall, the, the only uncommon options are the Changeling Versatile Heritage and the Nephilim Versatile Heritage. Uh, Changeling is very much like it was in uh, Advanced Players. But the Nephilim is actually really cool. I, I'm digging these changes. And what it did is it basically just combined all of these different outer planar creatures into just one category. You're no longer, oh, I'm a tiefling or, you know, there's all the different ones for the daemons and, you know, the celestials and all these other things. It is now just relegated into feats under Nephilim that allows you to just pick and choose. And a lot of them aren't even tied to like, oh, you have to have this or have to have that. You can you could just be kind of an outsider as you wish. And I know people are not going to be happy with that because, you know, oh, I know I want to have tieflings. but. It's just a style of Nephilim. It would be very easy to keep that there and just, oh yeah, tieflings are Nephilim that are devils. It's (laughs) still very simple.
1: I like how they made Nephilim not be pigeonholed so they could add more outsider types as they wanted to inside of Nephilim without making core changes to the class. Like we still have, Lineage feeds, so like you're you're gonna explicitly be an angel kin if you want to be, or a grim spawn, or a Hellspawn, or a lawbringer, or something along those lines. But you can still be an angel kin with hooves, or you can be a hell you can be a hell with a halo. I think that's really cool. It really drives home that these things are very different and not necessarily just oh look, it's an attractive human with a halo, you know. Uh in fact the picture on 79, page 79 in here, has a Nephilim with big monstrous horns and talons, and then a divine-looking halo behind her head. I think it's really cool. I, I also really like the fact that uh Dromar, which is the half orc replacement, and uh Ayyvarin are just half orc or half elf respectively and can just be tied to anything explicitly so give me my half orc dwarf and i'll just be real happy i'm just gonna play half orc dwarves forever now guys just you can find me at the half orc dwarf bar from here on out because it's my two favorite ancestries i get to put them together get all the the best parts of the best ancestries now and i love it
0: And they've added a section here called Custom Mixed Heritage. And it says you can work with your DM to create a mixed heritage of any ancestry. So they're kind of giving you permission to say, hey, basically pick any two races and get all of the ancestral feats for these two races or ancestries, as it were. So I I think that's really cool because it's like, well, why is this just limited to elves and orcs? So they, they've they opened this up as, as they're creating new ancestries. They don't have to worry about trying to, oh, what about these would work really well as is, is a half, uh, a mixed heritage. So they're just kind of giving you permission to say, hey, you you guys can just mix and match these however you like.
1: And our last question is thoughts on desired changes in player core two. And we kind of talked about that as, as what we expect But what do we actually want? What does that line up with our expectation versus what we want to see?
0: (laughs) I think for the community at large, they're going to want to see a reprinting of the death and dying rules.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Again? We're going to do this again?
0: I was going to say, I I don't think anyone's going to be very happy with what what came down the pike. And for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, there is... It is believed that this is how it's always been intended to act, but the wording was so poor, most people weren't using it this way. And that is, when you are dying and you get brought back up, you gain the wounded condition. Well, the any time your dying level increases, not only does it increase by one or two if you failed or critically failed, it also increases by your wounded value. Which means if you were wounded one, got dropped by a crit, you're now at dying three next time you roll. Yeah. Unless you succeed, you know, you get, you increase it by one plus your dying value. So even if you have diehard is like, it, it almost makes diehard worthless because you're always going to be exceeding that value. So it, it's such an interesting design choice to me to, to go that way because that's not how Pathfinder's ever been is not, it's not like it's hard to kill characters, but <laughs> certainly it's never been like, oh, you're di- you go down, you're going to die. That's just how it's going to be.
1: <laughs> well, it really drives home how important it is to maintain the current distri- the correct distribution of hero points throughout a, a session. Like it really drives home that like, yeah, make sure everybody gets a hero point per hour of play. Because you need to hold on to that thing. It's not just a re-roll and probably get a lower number die. Now, this is a, you need this for a combat that is severe or better. Because if you go down twice, you're probably gone, gone. I mean, that's, that's all there is to it. If you go down twice, you're probably gone. I think the issue came from probably a typesetting problem or a, a formatting problem trying to make sure that they had... The right amount of words in a specific paragraph without out going over, like type fitting rather. I'm guessing the original wording that we had that was in there, which is gains the dying condition, was likely gains or increases the dying condition because that's what the new wording is. And somebody that's just doing typesetting and doesn't realize that there's necessarily a difference between the two and just uses gains and it very easily might be missed in an editorial review at that point because it's such a minor change in the wording that the meaning was completely lost. I, I can definitely understand and I can definitely see the argument that this was the intended way of doing it because the designers have always driven home that 2E is a deadly game and the hero points are important to make sure that you're not just waxing PCs left and right. The problem is the way that they described that didn't really fit reality because yes, 2E is fairly deadly, but it's still not, you know, one and done or two and done like these rules would make it. If the devs were saying this is super deadly, they may have been thinking about the original way that these were written and they may have been playing that original way that it's been written. But I'm going to tell you, man, I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody play this way. Like, no, I I, know I haven't. (laughs) I know I'm not changing the way I play because I feel like this is pretty, pretty brutal.
0: Yeah, no, I, I honestly think too bringing a new player in and telling them this is how it works. I honestly feel is very discouraging. Like, because it, new players make mistakes. They don't make optimal choices and to then be okay. Character's dead. Sorry. Let's go make a new one. uh, People aren't going to like that. And I, and I kind of, I would agree with them that that's not super fun. So (laughs) who knows?
1: How, how many times have you seen a PC go down in the maiden combat of a, of a game? Like if they're a level one PC I mean, I, I think oh, most of the, the time. times, most of the times I've run a campaign for level one PCs, I've had one PC drop once, maybe twice in the first combat and still skate by. With these changes to the death and dying rules, that is much less likely to happen. You're going to end up with like mothership levels of character death where you just have a stack of pregens you pull out from. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> I got one of every character class right here.
1: Let's go. You get to see random character generators start popping up for them.
0: Yes, but Wolf, to answer your question, uh, thoughts on desire changes for Players Core Two? I, you know, I'm excited to see what you know minor class changes there are, but other than that, I don't really have a lot of expectations. More curiosities, just like I mentioned there's an entire equipment section. All the equipment's uh, you know, already been printed and we have tons of stuff in Adventures Vault. What's going to be put in that section? What's going to be put in the basic how to play the game section? What's going to be put in this is how you do everything? Are they going to assume, oh, you can buy either Core 1 or Core 2 and they're just going to reprint all that stuff? If they do that, I have a feeling people aren't going to be super excited about that. But who knows? We will find out. I believe these are scheduled to come out next November, honestly.
1: I thought it was March for some reason. I don't think so. I feel like we'll it's have to check. a year apart. Uh, I will say what I would really like to see is a, a section that deals with the explicit conversions required to make something remaster compliant, air quotes. Something that makes it so that buying remastered books of older content, like treasure vaults or like secrets of magic or like uh what's the name of the book that had a, just a the character guide? the character is a character guide um oh yeah the lost omens yeah character guide? And, yeah that one makes having to buy those less of a necessity because you can say all right anytime it says this replace that with this I would love to see that section in player core too. I wish it would have been in GM core, but it's not.
0: I will say and leave this as kind of our, our parting shot here uh, to all of you, you know, longtime Pathfinder two fans, and you have already a collection of books. You do not need any of these books. The changes are so minor. And with the exception of, you know, classes in that, Whatever you're using to record your character, whether it be foundry, whether it be path builder, those changes are all going to be there. So beyond those, uh, a couple of very minor rule changes and you know some spell changes, which again are going to be in however you're tracking your character, the changes are so minor that you, you do not need to pick up these books if you do not want to.
1: I will say, though, as a counterpoint to that, while you do not need to pick up these books if you don't want to. If you have the ability to do so, I definitely recommend it because this is Paizo going out of their way to do something to preserve this game and the spirit of this game going forward by removing ties to the OGL and doing all of that work to separate themselves from something that could cause peril to the brand, to the game, or to the community in the future, and them taking all this time to rework and reprint and show this dedication to consistency in the rules, I think it's worth your dollar to do it if you can do it. Now, do you have to? No, just like Christian said. I mean, you never have to pay a penny to play this game. You can pick up everything on AON. You can grab the free version of Path Builder. You can just print out some character sheets. There's a million of them online. But if you like what Paizo's doing, you want to support what Paizo's doing, and I know that Christian and I both do, I would recommend picking this book up. Uh, but that's my two cents. And uh, anybody that's listened to me kind of rail about it, I feel like the community devalues published work far too much, and the onus is on us for driving that cost down. And this is something that we can do, you know, if if we're going to continually drive costs down, we need to be picking up these books when we can. Um, that's, like I said, my two cents. That's my that's my uh, my soapbox for the night on buying Paizo products or buying products from really any publisher that you like their stuff and you want to continue to see them make stuff because they're not going to make stuff if they're not making money.
0: All right, well, that about wraps us up for today. I'm Christian.
1: And I'm Trevor.
0: And as usual, you all have a great week.
1: Bye, y'all.